trading, if it's going to be the majority of your income, really is passively, you know, one of the hardest full-time jobs that you can choose. Hello there from Bedford, the Bitcoin capital of the world. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with Flood looking at Bitcoin Trading 101. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. So first up today, we have Crypto Mining Tools. And now with the halving in the past, I do have Scott back on the show to tell you about a couple of things. So the halving has an impact on mining profitability. And Scott from Crypto Mining Tools has a solution for Bitcoin mining equipment owners looking to get a little bit more out of their miners. Now, I've told you before about Scott's Bitcoin mining calculator, or Scott has recently launched a Bitcoin mining hosting directory. If you need to move your miners to a more cost-effective location due to the halving, then head over to CryptoMining.Tools to research hosting options available in your country and around the world. Scott is also looking to add more hosting and co-location providers to the hosting directory. So if you own a mining farm, if you've got extra space and you want to get it filled, reach out to Scott's hosting partnership development guy, Shanna Squires. He's available on Telegram at Squires, which is S-Q-U-I-R-E-S, or just use the contact form at CryptoMining.Tools. Also, have you checked out my new sponsor, Least Authority, yet, who've been sponsoring the show this month? It is for you techies out there, the builders creating the applications. Least Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits on how to build privacy respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design, while also making regular contributions to the open source and decentralized space. They can help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer two protocol, P2P network design and use of cryptography and so much more. If you want to boost your security strategy, well, they can arrange a no obligation call with you to find out how they can help you with your next project. Just head over to their website and hit the schedule a call button. That's at leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. And also, have you checked out sportsbet.io yet? The best place for online gaming, and they accept Bitcoin. And after a long sporting break, we are finally getting some football back on the agenda. The Bundesliga is back playing again, and to celebrate, Sportsbet has a Bundesliga Super Streak Challenge. If you win 10 bets in a row before the end of the season, you will walk away with 100 MBTC in cash. That is 0.1 Bitcoin, or for you sat stackers, that is 10 million sats. Hopefully, we're going to be getting football back in the UK soon, getting some Premier League action. I cannot wait for that. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Okay, so onto the show today, and I have Flood, one of the known Bitcoin traders on Twitter. He goes by the name of at ThinkingUSD, and he is going to give you a Bitcoin trading 101 today. Now, as regular listeners will know, I strongly recommend that newcomers to Bitcoin steer well clear of trading. Outperforming an asset like Bitcoin is very difficult, and while you might see some success, many have had their accounts wrecked. Of course, there are exceptions to this. There are some people out there who want to trade or experienced Bitcoiners. I get it. You want to get out there and you want to trade the market. So aware of that and aware that many people will ignore me, I asked Flood to come on and give us a rundown of the pitfalls of trading, simple things to avoid, and how to find your edge and beat the market. 
I hope you enjoy this one. And if you do have any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, I'm producing a bunch of interesting new content on Defiance. I've gone for a different show style. I'm making mini documentaries. If you head over to defiance.news, you can check out the first one of those. It's called The Money Game, Cheaters Edition. And on Wednesday, I'm releasing a new episode. Technology, the good, the bad, and the Orwellian. I hope you enjoy that. If you do check it out, please do reach out. If you've got any feedback, I would love to hear from you. Again, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Floodman, happy pizza day. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. No, no problem at all. Yeah, really good. Looking forward to uh, getting my pizza. After this, me and my son are going to have a pizza, so uh, we're going to celebrate pizza day. Are you going nice, to get another nice. pizza today? Uh, I'm actually lactose intolerant, so probably not. Uh, but, no, <laughs> but I know no, pizza no. day is a great... <laughs> I know, it's so funny, but I know, I know pizza day is a huge thing for Bitcoiners, so I'll probably buy one You know, either way. <laughs> cool. Well, listen, look, appreciate getting you on. So what I want to do with you today, I had Willie Will on the other week talking about some things to do with trading. Now, I actually advise any of my friends who come into Bitcoin, I always advise them advise them to avoid trading. Um, I try and dedicate my show to beginners. I'm always worried that people will make mistakes like I did, just go and throw in a bunch of money and maybe like a casino, get lucky early on and then then blow everything. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also conscious of the fact people ignore me. So I got a message from a friend the other day telling me, asking me about Ripple, XRP. She was like, um, yeah, my brother told me it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the next big thing. Should I get it? I was like, <laughs> no, just stay with Bitcoin. And then she messaged me this morning saying, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, uh-huh. So she said, "Very, thank you for sharing. I'm going to admit something now. I know, I know you'll tell me off, but I had a severe case of FOMO listening to my brother and uh, when he told me about XRP and I invested a thousand pounds. So I, I know people don't listen. So I already know. I'm thinking like the title of this show is going to be if you're going to trade Bitcoin. And then what I'd like to do with you is just kind of like if somebody's thinking about trading Bitcoin, I, I want to go through like the stuff they should really think about, what, how they should learn, where they should start, what the basic mistakes are, things like that, just to give them a, a bit of advice. Are you okay with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, trading's obviously been, trading Bitcoin specifically has been a big part of my life for the past five years or so now. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily an expert on it, but I guess I am one of the success stories. You know, they are kind of foreign and uh you know in between it's definitely difficult to kind of you know say you are a bitcoin trader and not be laughed at to a certain extent by you know members of the traditional finance world just because of the unregulated nature and kind of the wild wild west kind of connotation that it gets especially with you know these exchanges where people have no idea where they're based or you know who they're talking to or if their you know information is being shared but um, it's rapidly becoming more and more specialized and, and kind of we're seeing more and more sophisticated market participants really enter the space. So uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting time for crypto. You know, 2018, 2019 were kind of slow periods, but there's been a lot of building and a lot of growth. I almost imagine if you, if you can trade Bitcoin successfully, everything else must seem a little bit easier and possibly a little bit more boring. Right. Yeah. I mean, the volatility definitely attracts and repels, you know, certain type of speculators. Um, And the nature of the 24 hour market uh, can definitely take its toll, not only on you, you know, mentally, but kind of, you know, in all aspects of your life where, you know, if you're out with friends and suddenly there's a crazy, you know, intraday move, 
in uh, if you're in the West Hemisphere or if you're in Asia, you know, um, that can really derail your life to a certain extent that, you know, traditional markets might not with the, you know, typical 930 to 4. All right, cool. Well, listen, before we get into it, um, obviously also something happened this week. Now, I don't know the guy. I don't know Ben. Uh, I never met him. But there was like an outpouring of like support and sadness and a little bit of grief with regards to actual advice BTC. And mm-hmm. it's, I really don't know much about him. Um, I've I seen his name come up a lot, but I'm, I'm not really a trader. But I was really taken aback by you know, the impact it had on everyone. I didn't know if you just want to say anything about him and before we get going, because he's a, he's well known amongst the traders, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not anyone that's going to do fake sympathies or anything. I was never really close with him. We kind of ran in different circles to a certain extent, but I mean, he was a trader who uh, traded large size and definitely had some crazy stories from what it seems like. So, you know, it, it really is tragic whenever you see someone who kind of does the uh, the same thing that you do really, you know, pass away. I mean, at such a young age, it's it's an, an unfortunate event, but I wasn't close with him at all. Oh, right. Okay. I, yeah. I didn't know if all you traders seemed to know each other, but yeah, I mean, it's tragic any, losing anyone mm-hmm. at any point, but especially so young. Um, all right. So listen, look, what, the way we'll do this, We'll pretend we'll we'll run the show like I am brand new, even though I know a little bit about trade. I know enough to know that I'm not very good at it and to stay away, and I don't have yeah. time for it. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna play this one out. I'm, a, I'm brand new to Bitcoin. I've just discovered it. I've been on maybe Coinbase and Bull a bit, and then I've seen like Coinbase Pro and Binance, and I'm thinking, do you know what? I can be a trader, right? So mm-hmm. I'm coming to you, Flood. I've seen you tweeting. I'm thinking this guy. He seems to know a bit about trading. Where, where would you advise me to start? What are the things would you advise me to do before I even go and stick you know, 10 grand into Binance or something? Right. I mean, there's there's a couple different factors to think about whenever you're considering trading. I think the first and foremost would be, you know, how what percentage of your income is trading going to be? Is trading something that you're looking to do full time or passively? Because that really dictates, you know, the amount of time investment that you're going to be able to put into this, you know, sport to a certain extent, right? Or this, you know, endeavor or business, however you want to look at it. I would say if you're just starting out, uh, familiarize yourself with all of the literature and all of the, you know, financial terms that seem very big and very scary, like spot and futures and derivatives, really get a good understanding of, you know, the current market structure of how Bitcoin trades the different exchanges, the different type of contracts offered. And that'll put you miles ahead of any of the, you know, for lack of a better word, degenerate gamblers that are currently in this space and trading, you know, and and not necessarily trading well. Just having an understanding of how these products work and how they are priced and all the inherent risks and benefits, you know, the difference between options and perpetual swaps having that knowledge and understanding will propel you and will allow you to find what, you know, traders call their edge or their, you know, niche to where they think or, you know, or they know through back testing and forward testing that they are able to demonstrate, I have an ability to outperform the market, right? To outperform buy and hold or to limit my risk and provide the same returns as buy and hold. Right. I mean, there's different ways to quantify, you know, what a good return on investment is. So, you know, 
it, it really starts with the basics. I mean, there's fundamentals in everything. There's fundamentals in, in you know, all aspects of life, but it, it would be, you know, trying to jump into crypto trading right away while it is deceptively easy would be like, you know, trying to drive a sports car without any proper knowledge. Right. Okay. I think that's a really good analogy because I think if you have your first driving lesson in a McLaren, there's every chance you're going to you're going to overjuice it and, and, and smash it into a wall. So there's some there's some good, really good points there you've made to begin with. It's learning about the terminology. But the thing I'm really interested in is you said find your edge. So I'm imagining there's lots of different ways you can trade. I know there's derivatives. I know there's options. I know there's spot. I, I, I know of all these terms. But is it a bit crazy to try and learn them all? Should you just maybe learn one particular area, learn to trade spot without leverage to begin with before you learn anything else? And and actually, find what is it like? Do you find an area you're comfortable in or you find an area that you find it easier to uh, gain good knowledge? How does it tend to work? I mean, how how normal traders would find their edge, you know, let's say, quote unquote, retail traders, that would be, you know, they identify like, I think whenever the market moves X percent, I can buy that retracement and over, you know, a long term that'll provide better entries than just buying every single day at the daily close, right? Having some sort of formula or theory or why a certain trade thesis would work and provide better returns than the buy and hold method would how would be how someone kind of quantifies their edge, right? And what we're seeing now is a bunch of sophisticated market participants really come to the forefront um, and a number of different, you know, hedge funds and OTC firms doing what's called, you know, delta neutral trades, right, which are algorithmic trades where they take advantage of the different funding rates across different exchanges or what's called arbitrage, where they buy on one exchange and sell on another and vice versa, depending on the prices between the two and, you know, capture the spread or they market make which is kind of uh, very similar to arbitrage, but it's providing liquidity for other traders to trade into. And you do get paid for that, you know, on a number of different exchanges because you are taking on risk by giving, you know, people who want to execute their order at market the ability to do so. But for a trader just starting out, they're not going to be able to compete with these very sophisticated trading firms and, you know, people who went to school and have worked in the sector for a number of years, you know, and, and have this experience. And it's not to sound discouraging, even though it might, but there are other opportunities depending on the amount of risk you're willing to take, right? These firms that are doing delta neutral basis trades may return, you know, a couple percent a month, but they don't really care if the market goes up or down. Some traders are able to return, you know, 40 to 50% per month, but they can get blown up if they're using, you know, large amounts of leverage, right? So figuring out your risk tolerance and really understand it all comes back to understanding the products you're trading really is key to identifying your edge or how you want to trade, right? I mean, if it, it all comes down to kind of your thesis. Like if you think Bitcoin is going to go up, and let's say you want to bet on the price going up, you would be able to use perpetual swaps, which are a derivative product or synthetic Bitcoin, allowing you to trade more Bitcoin than you actually have by borrowing um, Bitcoin from the exchange. And then uh, you would be able to bet you know, that the price of Bitcoin is going up. But then conversely, if Bitcoin goes down, you would lose whatever leverage you're using. So it's a very risky trade. And, you know, 
different firms employ it in different ways, but your ability to take risk and um, you know your ability to not worry about liquidity does provide a little bit of an edge over larger market participants where their trades are a bit more transparent. Right. Okay. I see. All right. Well, look. Let's imagine I'm uh, I'm about to get involved. I've 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 got about a thousand dollars that I want to invest and have a play with trading. Would you advise trading with uh, f- uh, you know you can you can trade with like play money accounts a bit like poker? Would you advise it as a starting point? And the reason I ask that question is like it's a similar with poker. I'm a big poker player, but I I never think you can learn with play money because you make decisions with play money that you wouldn't make with real money. But I don't know if it's the same for trading. And you nailed it right on the head. I mean, there, there's a lot of similarities between poker and trading in the, in the sense of there's inherent risk, right? Playing poker for no money, what's stopping me from shoving, you know, random hands preflop, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And trading is the exact same way. The emotions and the risk, the kind of mental ability to sit through a loss or handle that sort of drawdown, right? Being able to lose a pot in poker, if we're keeping the same analogy, is crucial to becoming a good trader, becoming, in a sense, numb to the uh, outcome of your trades, right? As long as you think you're executing them to the best of your ability, you can't necessarily be short-term results-oriented, right? If you think you have a winning strategy, but maybe you got a little unlucky or you were slightly too early or wrong or, you know, finance got hacked or something, right? Some event that's a little bit out of your control that you necessarily couldn't foresee cannot deter you from, you know, executing your strategy to the best of your ability. But yeah, no, play money will not help you at all because understanding the emotional aspect of, you know, making and losing money and the inherent greed, you know, that most humans have you're not going to gain the same skills by trading, you know, $10,000 of play money, you may knock it out of the park, but then give someone $100 of real money, and suddenly, you know, their hearts racing every time they place a trade and stuff. So no, I would say if you're going to learn trading, it starts with an investment in yourself, even if you're going to lose money, which you most likely are at first, as you're figuring stuff out. um, You really have to kind of it's it's learning fees to a certain extent. Did you have to go through some painful early lessons and did you have to get a control of your own emotions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had not spectacular drawdowns because um, having a bit of a background in finance, I, I really cared about risk. I mean, and, you know, the ability to hedge and minimize your drawdown via stop loss. I mean, that's all very basic stuff. But, you know, when I first came into the crypto space, like, People were just kind of all inning this very illiquid, you know, shit coin, for lack of a better word. I don't know if, if I can say that on this show, but uh, dude, I, I swear relentlessly. I just had a show that came out today with uh, Cameron and Tyler Vinklevoss, and I think most of the way through, I was like, "Fuck this, fuck that." So you can find, you can swear. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, no, but I mean, I saw people kind of, you know, with no risk management, no portfolio sizing, no systematic approach to the way they trade. And it worked out for some and others, you know, blew up in spectacular fashion. I mean, what what it really comes down to is, you know, handling that emotional aspect. Once once you detach yourself from the PL and the numbers, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still get euphoric when a trade goes my way and I still can feel like shit if a, if a trade doesn't work out. But 
in the grand scheme of things, the way that I'm sizing my trades and the way that I approach, you know, any type of trade that I'm going to take a lot of risk in, I've kind of done my research and I'm totally fine with the outcome because at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to your, you know, your portfolio sizing and, and how apt you are going to be to, to take risk. All right. Well, we, we, I'm going to come back to risk because that's something that's in my list of items to talk to you about. Okay. So look, day one, I'm thinking about trading. I'm willing to maybe put a thousand dollars in and go and have a go at this. How do you even go about selecting which exchange? Because there's so many different options. There's so many different exchanges. I mean, you're going to have a personal preference, which is cool. And I think that would be good for people to hear. But you must have been through a few exchanges. Or do you actually trade with multiple exchanges? And should somebody start with one? Or you know, I know there's a lot in there. But how do you even go about choosing where to start trading? Yeah, I mean, I would heavily recommend, again, starting with one exchange and understanding it inside and out. And understanding, you know, even how deposits withdrawals work, what their security system is like, all of the aspects that will make you feel kind of at home with that exchange, and even developing a good relationship with, you know, customer support in case things do go wrong or you do make a mistake, that'll be essential later down the line in your in your trading career. I would recommend sticking with one exchange and sticking with, you know, products that you're interested in and products that you're knowledgeable about. For example, if you're if you think you have, you know, what's called an edge, right? If you think that you understand ERC20 tokens far better than anyone else, then you really have no reason to trade on BitMEX, right? You would be better off investing in altcoins and being able to trade there, right? So, you know, Binance or FTX would be a better choice for you. If you, you know, think that you have an edge trading options, maybe you've traded options for, for a very long time, then Deribit would be your go-to. Or, you know, if you want to trade a regular, a regulated exchange, excuse me, um, then you can trade on CME and they offer both options and Bitcoin futures. So yeah, you should absolutely start with one exchange because, you know, the, the average novice trader is not going to be deploying these you know, very intricate strategies where they need, you know, liquidity on multiple exchanges, uh, just familiarizing yourself and, and really knowing it like the back of your hand will, will definitely give you a leg up on, on your competition, to say the least. All right. So again, there's a lot of options there, a lot of different types of trading. Do you think spot trading, just having to play with that to begin with, is a good starting point? And also, with regards to leverage, would you say people should really avoid leverage when they're starting out? Yeah, I mean, regarding spot, uh, I think that's a fantastic way to start because you don't have the ability to be liquidated if you're not trading on leverage. So your maximum drawdown would really be if Bitcoin goes all the way to zero. That would be essentially, you know, a catastrophic loss and you would lose all of your initial investment, which we all know that's that's fairly unlikely to happen. Um, and I think if you're in this space for an extended period of time, you'll quickly realize that the probability of that happening is is extraordinarily low. And if you think it you know, is high, um, then you probably shouldn't be in this space, right? Because it might ultimately be a waste of time. But yeah, spot trading, just focusing on the basics, buying low and selling high. Buy Bitcoin on red days, right? And sell on green days is a very simple strategy. 
Um, or, you know, even using a very simple indicator like a moving average, like, okay, if Bitcoin trades above the 200 day moving average on the daily time frame, I'm going to buy, you know, $100 worth of Bitcoin every single day. And then if it trades below the 200 day moving average, I'm going to liquidate my position and take my profit, right? I mean, that's such a simple strategy that, you know, may have worked a couple of years ago. My, I, I, you know, I haven't tested it. I haven't tested it recently, but, but that having a simple thesis or a simple gut check, you know, to execute your trading strategy is going to be essential. I mean, that's, that's really where you discern your edge and, and you can, you know, mix and match all of these different indicators and strategy, volume, order flow, everything is kind of, it becomes an amalgam of, of what you base your trades and bias on. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. So it seems to me like the early day is really just trying to get your head around whether, very simply, whether Bitcoin's going to go up or whether it's going to go down. And what are the indicators that might lead to that? So what are the, what are the indicators that might lead to it? Like, is it overbought? Is it oversold? Is there certain information in the market? Is, is that essentially the, the, like, the earliest thing you should be learning? Yeah. I mean, you should you should definitely be understanding market mechanics first and foremost you know why products move a certain way or how they're priced and then you can start developing thesis on theses on on why these um you know products move like they do right like if bitcoin goes up you know obviously there's more buyers than sellers right on a fundamental level but if you want to get more granular you can look at Oh, there was, you know, not enough asset liquidity on a certain, you know, on a certain exchange and that caused a bunch of shorts to be liquidated and then it started this chain reaction where, you know, price jumped 3 to 4% or something of that nature. You can get more and more specific and you can really look at, you know, data and and base your thesis based off that. But in terms of um, you know, indicators, there's no magic indicator there's no magic trading suite that will give you you know guaranteed returns or make every single trade you make profitable because if there was why would anybody give it away right these indicators and these you know kind of tools are the way you're going to formulate your thesis you're going to think you know a very simple indicator that was all the rage in you know 2016 2017 was like rsi People love to say, oh, the RSI is above 80. You know, this means that Bitcoin is oversold, right? I mean, I've seen it used less and less now as people probably realize that it isn't quite that relevant and it's just, you know, a 14 candle look back and an oscillator based off that. But, you know, that was just a very simple way of kind of organizing data and be able to and being able to see you know oh bitcoin has been you know being bid and bought up for an extended period of time so a retracement or profit taking may be likely right and there are far more sophisticated you know trading suites and indicators something that's all the rage right now is is people love looking at um you know order blocks people love looking at kind of resting bids and asks across different spot exchanges like binance Dare a bit. I mean, and there are a ton of, you know, platforms that will allow you to visualize this data and conceptualize it in a very easy way, like exo charts or tensor charts, and and you'll be able to see the actual large bids and asks and how price kind of oscillates between them. Um, I don't use it that much in my trading strategy, but it definitely is relevant, right? I mean, if someone puts 
the intent, right? And not necessarily if someone is broadcasting the intent, hey, I want to buy 10,000 Bitcoin. That's quite a large number of sellers that have to step in in order to chew through that amount of, of cash, right? And, you know, likewise, if someone broadcasts the intent to sell, you know, 10,000 Bitcoin at $10,000, that's quite a, a large number of buyers that have to step in to move the price above that level. So um, I think, you know, it is relevant to, to look at anything that'll give you a clue or provide you, you know, some sort of hint as to which direction you believe the market is going. And are there places that you can go, like resources for learning these early kind of trading strategies, give you a bit of idea? Because you say about finding your edge, but I think it's going to be difficult to find your edge without actually reading about some trading strategies first. So are there places for that? And are there also then, once you have kind of dipped your toes in, are there places to go that are good for finding information out that is going to help you with your trading strategy, like ongoing data? Absolutely. And you know, these, uh, some of these are, are paid services. Some of these are not, I mean, a very simple, you know, trading suite that, or, well, it's not simple, a, a fairly good trading suite that, you know, has been around since 2014 was a uh, spider crusher market research or SCMR. It was something I used in 2016, 2017, before I, I got kind of a little more, um, interested in the indicator side and, and what really went into the back end and kind of commissioned people to make me stuff to a certain extent that I that better suited my trading needs. But that was a really good way of broadcasting, you know, buy and sell signals. And, and it was a really ingenious trading suite that kind of took candle opens, candle closes, you know, over a large period of time, over a large sample size throughout, you know, the Bitcoin chart and kind of gave you a good way to, to look at that data and visualize it. And, you know, there are a number of good trading sites to learn the basics of technical analysis or, um, you know, these other kind of ways of approaching uh, the market like uh, baby pips. I mean, that's kind of the go-to default trading course for most people. And I believe a lot of their content is free as well. Um, you know, just being able to learn like, okay, what is a candle, right? Quite literally the basics of trading, you know, what does it mean uh, when, you know, a candle has a wick, right? How, do, what does that mean towards price? And, and you can kind of make all these inferences based off, you know, a chart and, and everything like that. I don't, that's not necessarily um, my trading strategy to a certain extent, but it's a good place to start, right? It's a good place to just, again, learn the basics and really familiarize yourself with all these concepts. All right, that's very, that's a very good start. So let me let's go back to leverage. My very first experience of trading was uh, back in 2013 with CFDs. Uh, won and lost a lot very quickly. Leverage always got me into trouble. So let's talk about leverage. Should people be using leverage when they start out? If not, when should they introduce leverage? And what leverage is too high? Because you know we've seen some exchanges out there that have some crazy leverage options. I look at leverage quite a bit differently than I think you know someone who just is looking to kind of gamble in a sense. Leverage is a method for me to reduce my counterparty risk, right? If I want to hedge, you know, 1000 Bitcoin notional worth, right? If I wanted to hedge, let's say I had an account with 1000 Bitcoins in it, and I wanted to sell them, or I wanted to, you know, protect against downside, I could take 100 of those Bitcoins, deposit it on an exchange and use 10 times leverage 
to be completely in cash, right? Because I own a thousand Bitcoin and I'm selling the equivalent of a thousand Bitcoin on leverage on, let's say, BitMEX, right? So I'm looking at as leverage as a tool to minimize my counterparty risk if BitMEX were to be hacked or, you know, my account were to be compromised, right? That way I won't have to use all of my cold storage coins and I won't have to risk some sort of, you know, systematic exchange blow up or some sort of trading error or, or, you know, any of these things that can go wrong in an unregulated market that you're not necessarily going to be refunded on. Leverage is a tool for me to not have to use all of my Bitcoin to make any size trade, right? But a lot of people look at leverage as the ability to just simply borrow money and trade more money than they actually have, which is a good way to lose your money a lot faster, right? I mean, like we talked about earlier with spot trading, the fact you can't be liquidated and lose your entire account balance unless Bitcoin went to zero, that's the opposite for leverage trading. I mean, if you're trading at 100 times leverage, 50 times leverage, you're going to be liquidated very quickly. So I don't think there's necessarily any leverage that's too high or too low because there are a number of different trading methods that you can use that you know use different types of leverage. But I really think people who are just starting out should avoid leverage completely because leverage just magnifies your losses and gains, right? And, you know, having that, especially if you haven't mastered the, you know, emotional aspect of having a large drawdown, using too much leverage can really make you panic, right? And it also, um, you know, decreases the probability of you being right to a certain extent. You know, let's say you buy Bitcoin, you know, in this most recent drop is a great example. Let's say you bought 9,000, but you bought at 50 times leverage, you would have been liquidated at like 8,980, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, now that we're, you know, 24 hours past that, you know, sort of dump, you would have been in quite a bit of profit, but you're wrong because your timing wasn't perfect. And the higher leverage you use, you really have to be more and more precise with your entries, which is just not really realistic all the time. You're going to be a bit early, you're going to be a bit late, but that doesn't mean it can't be a profitable trade. All right, cool. Okay, great. So I'm going to start out with spot. I'm not going to use any leverage to begin with. I'm going to check out some of these resources. I'm definitely going to try and find my edge. What about in terms of setting myself up to trade? And there's a few things here. Equipment. Is there any particular equipment I need? Are there any particular websites I should be subscribed to? Something like TradingView. Will that help? But also, can I do this part-time or should this be a full-time endeavor? And and if I there's a lot of questions in there. And if I am doing it part-time, what are the things I need to think about? Right. Okay. So let's let's tackle the the equipment first and foremost. I mean, again, TradingView is kind of the go-to platform for retail traders to just be able to access charts, which again is just a way to visualize data. And, you know, I think that's, they have a free version, they have a paid version, you know, I, I have the paid version, it's, it's great, you can put on a number of indicators and kind of go from there and play around with everything to your heart's content. And that's a great way to just, you know, look at what type of trading strategy you might want to employ. And you can backtest you know, if you have some sort of coding knowledge, you can backtest, you know, a particular algorithm that you come up with, right? Or some sort of particular strategy like buying, you know, in a certain month of the year or something, right? A very simple, very simple strategy. So that that's a good start. 
And you don't need, you know, any paid, any fancy indicators because what's really nice about crypto is a lot of stuff is free. I mean, I use a lot of indicators from a friend of mine called Insilico, and he uh, he creates very similar trading suites to Spider Crusher Market Research, but he doesn't charge 500 a month for them. I mean, he'll give you access to them for free if you ask nice enough. And then some of his stuff is paid, though, if you want some of the more granular things. Okay, and then on to your second question, you know, Okay, so I've started trading, you know, I'm kind of setting up on an account. Is this something that is, you know, possible to do part time? And absolutely. And you just have to think about what your time horizon is, right? I mean, if you can't sit there and, you know, employ what's called a scalping strategy, where you're going to take very quick trades, you know, very quick entries and exits that really require your full attention, you can broaden your time horizon and say, I think Bitcoin will go down here over the next week. So I'm going to short. I'm going to set a level where my thesis is invalidated and then I'm going to walk away. And that can be, you know, a part time essentially trade, right? That requires very little management and very little, you know, attention, but can potentially make you a large amount of money if you're correct, right? So I would say absolutely not. I mean, the majority of, traders times is not necessarily spent button clicking on an exchange and you know buying and selling rapidly unless that's your trading strategy a lot of it is you know formulating these these you know thesis these these ideas these you know kind of reasons why we take trades the the kind of overall you know market analysis doesn't come from staring at a chart for 12 hours a day that doesn't make you a trader right it comes from, you know, making informed decisions and bets basically on why you think, you know, Bitcoin may go up or down, right? Yeah, okay, that make, that makes sense. What about the conversely? Can I mean, I think I know what you're going to say here, but can you spend too much time trading, like over trade? And that, can that affect you? And just to add into that, like in terms of your health, do you actually need to consider your health, your fitness, your well-being with regards to this? Right. So that's that. I'm really glad you asked about that. I mean, you know, I see people over trade when typically when they're either on a really, you know, nice win streak or when they've, you know, lost a large amount of their portfolio and they really want to try and make it back as, as soon as possible. And that's a really good way to completely go bust, right? I mean, you really have to look at trading as a business where, if you lose all of your capital, that's game over. I mean, it's it's very unlikely you're going to make all your money back if you you know experience a ninety percent drawdown. But you're not out of the game completely, right? So, you know, these people who unfortunately you know have not done their homework, don't understand the products, and attempt to you know trade all the time and really just try and capture every single move on this very volatile asset. I'm sorry, you know, maybe 0.0001% of the of the traders will excel and you'll see them on the BitMEX ROE leaderboard, but the majority of these traders will, you know, bust after a week and then reload their account, bust again and it just becomes a cycle where they never build up capital and they continue to use high leverage which just decreases their probability of ever being correct, right? Or ever making sustainable profit or income. And, you know, in terms of uh, your personal life and your health and your fitness trading, if it's going to be the majority of your income, 
really is passively, you know, one of the hardest full-time jobs that you can, that you can kind of uh, choose as your, as your primary source of income. I mean, it really does take a toll on your personal life and it'll get in the way of relationships and everything. And you have to understand that, you know, you are making this, this sacrifice, this time, or even passively that you spend thinking about the Bitcoin market, right? Or thinking about any market in general that you're trading. It, it really is no joke. I mean, it, it is all in, in a sense, right? To, to use another poker term, you really, you really have to dedicate your life to be successful because there are people who are far brighter than you, far hungrier than you, who spend every single day, you know, thinking about the market, thinking about their next trade, formulating a thesis on why, you know, they should buy or sell or, or even, you know, conjuring like, very, you know, complex trading strategies and researching and and sharpening their craft. And if you're not doing that, you're going to fall behind, you know, and there have definitely been times in my trading career where, you know, maybe I was going through a breakup or I was a bit busy with, with, you know, family issues. And it, it can really take a toll on your mental state, right? And you can kind of get in this downward spiral of, oh, I'm not trading well. And if you, you know, base your identity and your self-worth on something like that, and it is your full-time job, it can really go downhill fairly quickly. Well, I can compare it again back to poker. And, you know, what we say is going, you go on tilt, right? Um, I know my, my edge. My edge is six-seat mini tournaments, uh, sit and goes. I know in a six-seater, I will finish, for, on average, I'll finish first one in three and finish second one in three, and it's a numbers game. If I pay enough, I'll do well. If I pay nine-seaters, I just don't have the same edge, and I don't know why, and I play cash games, it's exactly the same. And I think it's just the kind of hands I tend to play. You know, I always tend to play the same hands across all three games. It just works on that one. But I also know when I'm on tilt. I know when I start drifting out playing the wrong hands. And I just have to walk away. And it's not even just like go and have an hour's rest. I perhaps have to like leave it for a week, go away, collect my thoughts, go for a few runs, get healthy. I just imagine it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and, and even in terms of bankroll management and that whole aspect, you know, the emotional side of poker in the sense of, I mean, I've played a, a fair amount of poker as well. Um, you know, being able to handle losing is not something that all humans are capable of, right? I mean, and, and it's not to knock, you know, the standard nine to five job, but trading and, and poker in a sense as well are not linear professions. There's no guaranteed return or result just for showing up to work, right? I mean, you can spend hundreds of hours attempting to, you know, formulate a reason why you should take this trade, you execute it perfectly, and then you get stopped out, right? Or you end up being wrong, your options expire worthless, right? Or, you know, let's say you get an aces versus kings preflop, and they bank a king, right? I mean, you did everything right, and you still lost. And that's a very, you know, uncomfortable reality for a lot of humans. And that's something you really have to ask yourself is, am I okay with investing, you know, a ton of hours and, you know, potentially resulting in failure with, you know, not necessarily a salary to, to guarantee income or anything. And, and that's why I kind of brought up bankroll management in a sense. Um, you know, your, your bankroll, your trading bankroll should not be used as like your rent or, you know, money you're going to use for groceries. Your, your capital that you use for trading or investing 
or whatever type of you know endeavor you choose really needs to be completely set aside and independent from what you use for everyday expenses. Next up, I talked to Flood more about Bitcoin trading, but before that, I've got a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, let's talk about Kraken. And if you're thinking about trading, if you don't have an account yet, then Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin with this growing interest in Bitcoin over the last few weeks, with people starting to look at it with all the money printing going on. I've had it. I've had friends reaching out to me and saying, Pete, is now the time to invest in Bitcoin. While there is no better place to get started than at Kraken. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and buy your first Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app where you can buy Bitcoin on the go. With their world-class security, they are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange in the market. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, they can help you with any issues, whoever you are and wherever you are. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com or download the app, which is available in the iPhone and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And last up today, but never least, it's BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Have you checked out their new mobile app yet? They've absolutely smashed it. Done a great job with it. Everything you expect from BlockFi packed into your phone, quick and easy to sign up. You can get started in just a few minutes, allowing you to earn interest, borrow USD, and instantly access your portfolio. You can open up a BlockFi interest account and earn money on your Bitcoin. And using Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan. The app also enables funds to be transferred directly from your wallet into your BlockFi account. And that's not all. In the coming weeks and months, they will be rolling out additional functionality to make the app even better and easier to use. If you're interested in checking out BlockFi, I do recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. You've probably seen a bunch of traders come through. I'm sure people message you. I'm not sure if your DMs are open, but you've seen them come through. Is it kind of obvious sometimes that some people aren't cut out for this and they should just walk away, learn that this isn't for them? Because... In, in some ways, it feels like if you keep getting this wrong, you keep losing money. It doesn't feel like you're trading anymore. It feels like you're gambling. I feel like trading really is a profitable business. And get, and when it becomes unprofitable regularly, it's gambling because you, you don't have an edge. Is that a fair observation? I mean, I think it, less so of looking at it like gambling. I mean, life is a gamble, right? You go across yeah, the true. street, you can be hit by a car. So I... I I try and steer away from the the connotation that, you know, trading is gambling. And I look at it more, you know, like taking on more risk than the average person, right? If someone shows up to work, they get a guaranteed paycheck, whereas trading, there isn't necessarily that, uh, that guarantee. There isn't that, you know, okay, I'll receive, you know, $80 a day for staring at a chart. That's not true unless, you know, you work at a trading firm or something. If you're trying to do it independently, then, you know, there's, there's no guarantee, right? And, and what you brought up with people, you know, especially in DMs on Twitter, and even in, in, you know, my personal life of people who have asked about trading or, oh, oh, you trade Bitcoin, you know, I want to do that, or, or oh, I want to get into trading stocks. Well, you know, typically what I notice is when people reach out to me on Twitter specifically, uh, it's typically when they're losing. They say, hey, you know, I've, I've, I'm down $10,000. I have $2,000 left. What should I do? It's like, that's, the, uh, that's a horrible way to approach it, uh, uh, you know, on, a, on two levels, you know, in the sense of you still believe you have $10,000. It's like, no, now your, your bankroll, your capital is $2,000. You need to get it out of your head that you are trading, you know, that size because that's going to 
allow you to rationalize yourself to lever up. And then, you know, there's the potential of a blow up, right? And also in the sense of only reaching out for help or, or trying to, you know, formulate connections when you're on a downswing and when you're losing, you should constantly be trying to, you know, improve your trading strategy. You should constantly be trying to, you know, share information. I, a lot of people, you know, ask me like, oh, you know, how have you been, you know, consistently profitable or how have you been, you know, even around, right, surviving in this space? As we saw from the March drop, you know, when we, when we dumped, you know, 60 something percent, a lot of firms blew up, right? I mean, a lot of people are, are no longer in the space because they went bust, right? Um, and, and, you know, surviving is, is kind of a skill and it takes a lot of tenacity to, you know, persevere in this market. But in terms of, you know, if you want to, if you want to seriously take trading to the next level, you have to form groups. I mean, I found that what has helped me the most is a tight knit group of, of friends and people I consider hopefully smarter than me, who I, who I, you know, I know to a certain extent, are smarter than me, um, and and really bouncing ideas off of them. And you're not always going to be on the same page, right? Someone may have a totally different take, but the way their brain works, and you know the way they look at the market, and the way they, you know, crunch the numbers, may be completely different toward to you, and give you a very different perspective, which is invaluable, right? I mean, I wouldn't ask. Okay. You know, Joe Schmo from the street of like, oh, do you think Bitcoin's going to go up or down? Because he's not making a very informed decision. But with you know a tight knit group of my friends, I think we can come to some very solid conclusions. So, is this like WhatsApp group and Telegram groups? And is it just are you just running maybe sometimes a thesis by someone, discussing ideas with them? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, we, my friends and I, use Discord, and we kind of have you know. A larger Discord for uh, you know a larger group of people where it's it's more of a discussion. I have one that's open to everyone. Uh, it's called the Crypto Cartel. Um, I'm not too active in it anymore, but you know I, I used to really share a lot of information and try and help people to a certain extent, uh, all for free. By the way, I would never <laughs> I would never do anything for uh, for some sort of a fee. Anything I do is kind of out of the goodness of my heart. But yeah, I mean, and then, you know, as you get more and more specialized with people who have a similar trading strategy as, as you and really are on the same page, you will get more and more hyper-specific and hyper-focused and, you know, having a bunch of different minds, you know, all coming up with, you know, a similar thesis, I don't want to say will necessarily, you know, give you a higher likelihood of it being right, but it can definitely give you more confidence in the trade if you know all these people that you think are brilliant and have been provably profitable for uh, an extended period of time, you know, say like, "Wow, this makes sense," or, or "This is very interesting," or "I didn't think about it like that." You know, there's there is alpha or kind of you know measurable profit in in sharing ideas, right, and and formulating these trade ideas together. What about these paid groups? What do you think of paid groups? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they all bad? What's your general view on them? And what are the warnings about them? Um, paid groups are, I'm going to totally generalize, but I would say 99% of them are a scam. Because if anybody has a trading strategy that works and continues to work, then they would have no need to ever 
use, you know, that medium of income, right, where it does take a lot of upkeep, there are inherent legal risks. And, you know, there is the, you know, the potential for if you're not necessarily a good trader, to really lose people's money, right, because they're going to blindly follow you. And, you know, if, if you haven't been profitable, and you suddenly start a trading group, which happens all the time on crypto Twitter, then, you know, you really have the potential to ruin lives to a certain extent. So I always try and steer people away. Please, 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 you know, engage with people on Twitter, become an active member in these free telegram groups, like, you know, whale club or, you know, the crypto cartel, there are, there are a number of different discussion groups where if you provide good insight and you attempt to, you know, have engaging discussions and you really try and, you know, draw ideas out of people, you are going to make these connections and have something far better than you would ever get in a paid group. Because at the end of the day, a paid group is kind of a meta class on how to scam people. But, but few people realize that, like, they don't make money trading, nor do they have any incentive to trade at all, because they're already making a guaranteed income off your fees, right? <laughs> so mm. it's, um, it's pretty surprising that, you know, people hold pay gr paid groups in, in such a high regard. And I would say, you know, if you are thinking of joining a paid group, ask your paid group leader for his, you know, trading history, ask him to prove that he's been profitable in the past, because, you know, a lot of people just are not transparent, right? And they have no reason mm -hmm. to be because if they can market themselves as a successful trader or they have really pretty charts that are very aesthetically pleasing to the eye and they, you know, mark out, oh, the monthly open, the daily open, this is where, you know, the delta shifted or, or something, you know, and, and they just use a bunch of fancy words. People can get sucked into thinking they're a profitable trader. Dude, I'll tell you something. When I first got into Bitcoin and trading, and I, I made a few uh, Bitcoin. I had this really successful Ripple trade. It was ridiculous. I put like equivalent of about five hundred dollars in and walked away with about thirty thousand. But I always converted back to Bitcoin. And there was this guy. I'm not, I'm not going to name his name, but he like he was uh, known as a trader around those times. And he had a group and he had videos. And I think I paid a Bitcoin to get his videos and a Bitcoin to join his group, and then never used it. And I look back now, and I'm like. Shit, that's two Bitcoin. That's nearly twenty grand. What the f what the hell was I doing? But uh, you know, you, you get the you get those early lessons. All right. So what about um what about the early and obvious mistakes that people can make that can totally wreck themselves? What are the things that you like the advice, the top like two, three, four tips that you'd say that things to avoid? Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, avoid leverage when you're just starting out. Um, stick to spot like we discussed, you know, there are a number of good platforms that, you know, you can trade spot on. I mean, obviously my recommendation would be Bitfinex if you can get approved. Um, and then you can go on to these kind of higher fee places. Even Binance, you know, is, is pretty good and OKCoin is, is decent as well. But so definitely avoid leverage. Secondly, really familiarize yourself with the products. I've said that like 30 times, but I can't stress it enough. Mm -hmm. Understand what you are trading. That is essential. And then third, I would say, you know, get your hands dirty. You can't learn by not making mistakes trading. You can't understand the psychology behind trading without attempting to trade yourself. It's very difficult for anyone to really teach someone how to trade 
you know, through a book or it's why I never really recommend, you know, trading psychology books or anything like that, because it's very understand. It's very hard to understand the emotional greed aspect of trading unless you're actively doing it yourself. So I would say, you know, a big mistake to avoid would be starting with too large um, a percentage of your, you know, capital to begin trading, right? Even starting with something as small as, you know, $100, right? If I have $10,000 in my bank account, starting with $100 and attempting to trade with that, that's 1% of my, you know, net worth. If Let's just say, you know, $10,000 flat. That's a good place to start. And if you see yourself consistently winning and over a large sample size, right? I don't mean, you know, you make one trade and you're like, okay, time to, you know, time to deposit my bank account. It doesn't work like that. But, but definitely, you know, starting with too large an, an amount of capital and not really realizing the risks of trading um, is, is definitely a good way to, you know, kind of lose before you've even really started playing the game. All right, man. There's lots and lots of good advice here. And we're going to come to an end soon because I think there's a lot here people will have taken from. There's a lot to take in and, and learned a lot. A few, just got a few things I want to want to close out with you. Tell me about BitMEX because I've never signed up. And even during like the crazy times, I was like, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'm scared of doing it. I used to hear so many times about people getting wiped out on it. What are your views on BitMEX? Um, okay. I mean, I've, I've been trading on BitMEX since early 2015, extensively trading on BitMEX. So I've seen them go through a rotation of quite a number of different products, some complicated, some deceptively simple. And I think, you know, BitMEX had the advantage of the first mover advantage. I mean, they were really the first people to put together a functional exchange that allowed you know tremendous leverage and no counterpart and very little counterparty risk you know on their end because they've never been hacked and and you know they have generally a good reputation despite what crypto twitter might think you know but yeah i mean there are a ton of horror stories of people again starting with too large a percentage of their capital and trading products that are you know deceptively simple i mean you can buy and sell a hundred times what your account balance is and you can be wiped out very easily. But I think BitMEX for sophisticated traders and, you know, largely other exchanges now to a certain extent have been a vehicle where, you know, money has been transferred from degenerate gamblers to, you know, market participants who understand what they're doing. Similar to poker, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, fish and, and people who, are not taking are are just gambling in a sense, right? And don't have any structure mm -hmm. or or method to the madness. They're they're just kind of button clicking. But I mean, I think Bitmax has provided an incredible service for the space in giving people the ability to hedge their Bitcoin exposure and giving them the ability to gain more Bitcoin exposure while reducing their counterparty risk. And I, I think that people, you know, being wiped out and all these horror stories really stem from, you know, people who would have been wiped out in a number of whether they traded, you know, traditional markets or, or whether they, you know, went and played blackjack. I mean, I, I look at it and view it in the same way where it's, it's, you know, if, if you're just kind of shooting, you know, in the dark, and you really have no idea what you're doing, it's like, yeah, of course, you're going to lose money. But I mean, I think BitMEX is still one of the better platforms, if not the best platform. I mean, they definitely have the 
longest standing reputation, but they do have, you know, quite a few eyes on them now in the sense of like regulatory agencies and stuff due to the fact that they were the first exchange to make, you know, enormous profit from providing a functional exchange with massive volume and great liquidity. And, you know, crypto trading is kind of a magical thing because you don't have to go through a broker. You can sign up anonymously. You can you have access to some of the best liquidity in the world, whereas you don't really get that in traditional markets, you know, and fees are, are very low compared to, uh, I want to say, like, tra- if you were to trade stocks, fees are going to be are going to add up very quickly, whereas um, with crypto trading, you can actually be paid to provide liquidity, which is which is something that, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily do on their Robinhood account, right? They don't, <laughs> they don't have the option to do that. All right. One last uh, important question, and then I've got like a couple of closing ones. What about security? Is there anything specifically you need to consider with security? Because look, we know with Bitcoin, they're like, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, don't keep it on an exchange. But you can't, you can't trade without being on an exchange. Is there anything specific with regards to security that people need to be thinking about and doing different if they're an active trader? Yeah, I mean, you know, you should have, it's kind of the no brainers, right? I mean, don't use the same password for everything. Use, you know, a different email for your crypto stuff than you would use because you don't know what website you've signed up for. You don't know if you've repeated the same password, you know, on a number of different places. Definitely, whenever you start crypto trading, have a set email, a two factor authentication. And, you know, even if you get very serious, a separate phone number that you don't give to anyone that you purely, that you strictly use for, you know, SMS confirmation and, and really, you know, brush up on, on OPSEC. I mean, there, there's a ton of really good free articles um, that you can check out that detail how to really securely trade and hold your Bitcoin. I personally use a YubiKey, which is a um, user two-factor authentication. So in order to log into, you know, my BitMEX account, which people try all the time, you, you need the actual YubiKey, right? You would physically need the key in order to log in. So um, I would recommend that, you know, if you're kind of paranoid like I am, but two-factor authentication is, is good enough and is, is essential for, for trading. In regards to like, you know, not your Bitcoin, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, Again, I mean, it, it all comes down to the counterparty risk. People mm-hmm. who are trading with, you know, 0.1 Bitcoin, I would say, I, I, I would chance it, right? I mean, the risk of loss if, if an exchange went under or was hacked or something is, is relatively low in this day and age. But certainly in the past, it was a much more serious concern. All right. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I think this is going to be really useful for people. Uh, before we close out, you got any funny, interesting stories? Any crazy losses where you look back and think, "Holy shit!" It is, it is. I mean, it's Bitcoin Pizza Day. I mean, I, I mean, my crazy losses. The um, I, I was well, the half a million I put into mining and lost. <laughs> so that's that's always mine. Where I will look back in a few years ago, fuck, that might be like fifty million dollars. Right. That's that's pretty good. I mean, I, I have one one funny story. July 4th uh, is a friend of mine's birthday. So we were celebrating kind of a, a mix of, of, you know, the US holiday and then my friend's birthday. And there was quite a bit of alcohol involved. And I had a fairly large trade on, I mean, a seven figure notional size uh, US dollar value trade. And I, you know, I always have stop loss. I'm very meticulous with, you know, managing risk and everything. 
And I, I think I was long, this was last year, July, Bitcoin was around 9,200 or, or somewhere around that level. And I remember I had longed, you know, 9,500 or 9,400 and the price dropped, you know, four to 5%. And I was like, oh, I, I set my stop loss, you know, 1% below my entry. I, I don't remember the exact specifics, but I was under the assumption that I, I had a stop loss. But what I actually did mistakenly was edit my trade somehow and and I accidentally removed my stop loss. So I woke up the next day and I had a quarter million dollar loss. I mean, it's not that funny when you Whoa. think about it now. It is now, but yeah, I mean, and and that's a fairly large loss. And it was especially brutal because I, and it wasn't realized. It was still unrealized. The trade was still open. I mean, I think we dropped to 8,800 or, or something. And I could be mixing up the numbers, but the point is I, I had a very large unrealized loss on my account and I, I was freaking out. I mean, because it was, it was almost even worse than that loss being, you know, because I didn't expect it. So, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, set a stop under what I thought invalidation would have been, you know, for that trade. If I had entered it at that price, I, I looked at it at a new trade and I exited close to break even. I still took a, a fairly substantial loss, but you know, I kind of said, well, I'm in this trade. Would I go long here? Yeah. And where would I set my stop? And I looked at it as a new trade and I ended up, you know, with like a $30,000 loss or, or something far, far smaller than a quarter million dollar loss, which with, I don't care who you are. I mean, that's, that's a considerable amount of money, even if you have 10 million in the bank, you know? It's, yeah, yeah, of course it is. But yeah. it's a sunk cost at that point, right? You, exactly. Like, yeah. So I actually did it as a new trade and, you know, we ended up rallying, which I was <laughs> extraordinarily thankful for. And, you know, since that day, uh, uh, you know, and I've seen it happen to friends as well, uh, really set your stop loss before you even take the trade. That way you have no way of forgetting, right? That should be the first thing you do when you, set, when you execute a trade is you should have your stop loss in. Um, and since then, I've, I've, that's the one and only time I've ever forgotten a stop loss, and it could have been, you know, a lot more costly than it than it was. But thankfully, I I made it out alive. Okay, come on, man. How did that honestly feel when you first noticed? Oh man, I mean, I, I freaked out. I, I called my friend, and I was like, "How could you let me do this? How could you let me log into my Bitmax account drunk? It was unbelievable." And I, you know, I tried to, and he was like, "I don't know. I, I didn't even notice that you did." Um, so, I mean, I mean, it was just like complete shock and awe. And, and I've experienced drawdowns of that magnitude on individual trades, but I was prepared for it, right? I mean, I understood the risk and the potential payout was, you know, magnitude larger than what I was risking. But it was worse because I thought I had lost, you know, 30,000, 40,000 when it was really, you know, quite, quite substantial of a loss. Um, yeah, I mean, waking up hungover your account decimated to a certain extent. Uh, definitely, you know, probably the worst hungover experience I've had in a while. I mean, I had a similar one, uh, nowhere near those numbers. Um, so back in 2013, like I said, I was trading CFD. So I discovered Bitcoin uh, and I decided to try, I didn't really understand what it was. So I was trading CFDs on plus 500, making and losing money, doing okay. And then I started just trading tech stocks and I was trading Tesla and Tesla was quite volatile back then. So it was uh, after, I think it was after the, was it after the Roadster came out? I can't remember, but they were doing well. 
and very early days in trading I, I i just noticed like oh it seems like every like hour it seems to like go up a bit and then come down a bit and then go up so i just kept doing that up and down with it leveraging and i was uh, i was sat on a train and i was going down to my uh, ex-wife's uh, parents at the time and I was going up and down making a lot, like a decent amount of money because I was on leverage, right, on these little moves. And then what happened at the end of the day, the trading closed out and I I was I was in a short because I was, you know, short in one way and long the other way. And, and I didn't even think anything of it. And the weekend went by and then some news got announced over the weekend. And I didn't realize there was this like out of market trading hours so you could see that what's happening with the price but i couldn't do anything because my trading was limited to what was it like nine to five on a whatever it was so by the time by the time it opened this account which i'd grown to about a four thousand dollar no it's about ten thousand dollar profit i wiped out like four no this is pounds actually i think i wiped out about four thousand pound in one go now the number doesn't seem huge but at the time I didn't have much money and that's a huge amount of money because I was in leverage in caught in a position. So I think we all go through little exercises like that and learn. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, you know, the magnitude of your loss, all it comes down to is the percentage of your, you know, account balance, right? I mean, yeah. it, so it doesn't really matter, you know, the notional size, but whatever percentage you lost, it can definitely feel like a punch to the stomach. I mean, everyone starts, you know, somewhere. I feel shit. I remember phoning up my my ex-wife at the time. Actually, she wasn't even my wife at the time. I just remember phoning up and say, look, I've got to tell you something because I'm at work and I feel terrible and I don't know how to process this. I had to phone her up. And she was really good about it at the time. But yeah, it was one of those moments. I think that's when I stopped trading. I was like, this isn't for me. And then 2017 happened and then I went degen again. So uh, <laughs> listen, Flood, really appreciate you doing this. Um, really enjoyed this. I think it's going to be really useful for people. I mean, I still say to most people, you most people shouldn't trade. Most people should really just try and find a strategy which long-term works for them. I always say 10 years, have a 10-year horizon and buy a little bit here, a little bit there. But I do know some people do want to trade. So if they do, I think this is like a really good starting point to introduce them to it. So look, I really appreciate your time in doing this. And look, if people want to follow you, t tell them where they can get hold of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, my Twitter account is at ThinkingUSD, very simple. <laughs> And yeah, I really appreciate you having me. I mean, you know, it's a great opportunity. You have a great platform here. And I've, you know, I've listened to your podcast fairly consistently over, over the past couple of months. So, Oh, nice one. Brilliant. I appreciate you, appreciate you doing that. It's funny we should say, because when I think it was Nomad, because I was chatting to Nomad, he said, like, you should get a trade on. And I'm pretty sure he recommended you. Uh, oh, thank like, you. Yeah, he reached out to me and, and he pinged me. And yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Nomad. Nomad was one of the first couple accounts that I ever followed on crypto Twitter. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I tried to get him on, but he's like, no, I don't talk. But uh, he he was the one who recommended it. But I was like, fuck, have I had a fight with this guy? Because I know some of the traders don't like me. I was like, have I have I had a fight with this guy? I haven't. I can't really remember. But I don't think we had. So I don't think. Like, I appreciate it was in the past. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, look, appreciate you coming on. Uh, all the best with your trading. I hope you continue to crush it. Um, perhaps one day we'll meet in person. I won't even know it because you because uh, you, you won't tell me. But uh, look, appreciate you coming on and good luck with everything you do, man. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, then. So what did you think of that? You still thinking about trading Bitcoin? If you are, I have added loads of links in the show notes covering some of the things we discussed. As I mentioned in the intro, outperforming Bitcoin is hard, and I definitely think 
just regular buys, dollar cost averaging, and then holding is the best option for most people. But if you think you've got it, what it takes, if you want to get out there and start trading, there are a few things in here which Flood covered, which will help you get started. Anyway, just want to say a massive thanks to Flood for coming on. And thanks always for listening. If you do have any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And as I said in the intro, I am producing some interesting new content out on Defiance, a different show style. I'm, I'm producing mini documentaries. The first one is out. It's called The Money Game Cheaters Edition. You can check that out at defiance.news. And on Wednesday, I do have another show coming out. Technology, the good, the bad, and the Orwellian. Hope you enjoy that. If you do check it out, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know your feedback. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com.